Planning Commission pre-meeting for March 8th, 2023 is now in session. Welcome to our pre-meeting tonight and thank you for taking part in the business of the city. The first order of business is the agenda overview discussion. Tonight we have a total of nine applications of which two applications are for continuance or withdrawal. Mr. Boswick, can you please provide the commission with an overview of the continued applications? Good evening, Mr. Chairman and commissioners. Yes, tonight's agenda includes one request for a continuance, but it covers two companion applications. It is PLN-REZ-2022-007 Oxford, and the companion is PLN-USC-2022-017 Oxford, with the applicant requesting a continuance to the April 12, 2023 Planning Commission meeting, and there are no requests for withdrawal. Thank you. Do any commissioners have any comments or questions regarding these items? If not, without any objection, these items will be placed on the continuance and withdrawal portion of the agenda. Next, we will review the remaining items and determine placement on either the consent or regular agenda. The first item is item 3, 1748 Battlefield Boulevard. Mr. McKay, would you please give us an update on this application? Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Um, I have no updates on this, and we have received no public comment and are unaware of any uh, public opposition. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Commissioners, uh, do anybody have conflicts with this application, number one? And number two, any questions? Any discussion? Hearing none, is there any objection to placing this item on the consent agenda? If not, then item three is placed on consent. Next, we have item four, which is lineage logistics. Mr. Bell, could you please give us an update? Good evening, commissioners. Staff has no updates on this application, and we did not receive any um, citizen co comments or, or concerns on this one either. All right, then any commissioners have conflicts with this application? Any questions for staff? I did have one question. Sir. Yeah, in the uh, proposal or in the staff report, uh, they asked for uh, root, what's it called? A root uh, barrier is regarding the uh, utilities <clears throat> and tree line. It was something about having some type of root protector or barrier. I want to know what that was. That was, was that a comment from Public Utilities? Let me see if I can find it. Come back. <laughs> let me let me ask that question. Let me come back to that question, please. Okay. Let me let me recall staff uh, for that question yeah. unless I find it. it. It may have just been something that the Public Utilities Department as a note for um, like an advisory during the final site plan approval phase. But if you have that question um, for the, the staff, then we can certainly address that in the meeting. Are there any further questions? Are there any objections to placing this on the consent agenda? If not, then item four will be placed on consent. Next item is item five, Vogue, Lashes, and Spa. Ms. Neal. Good evening, commissioners. I have no updates on this application and we've not received any public comment. Thank you. Do any commissioners have any conflicts with the application? Any questions for staff? Any further discussion? 
Hearing no objections, this item, will be, item five will be placed on the consent agenda. Next item is item six, Green Clean Nell's Ridge. This one's also mine, so I didn't go back to my seat. Um, I have no updates on this one. We did receive one comment form in opposition. That form was emailed to you all earlier. It was related to traffic and drive-through type uses, um, undermining the ability to make the area more walkable or bikeable in the future. So with that, I will stand by for questions. Do any commissioners have any conflicts with this application? Any questions for staff? I'll ask a question just because we haven't had any. Sure. So to that comment, is is there any um, uh, connectivity plan plan for Battlefield Boulevard in that area? So I'm not sure if there's any plans for Battlefield Boulevard in that area. There is already an existing sidewalk in front of the property, and um, the applicant is providing sidewalk along the easement to, even though it's not, you know, a uh, pedestrian type use, they are going to provide um, a sidewalk because it's a entrance to a shopping center. Okay. So that will remain as it is or, or be approved even. Right. Okay, thank you. Any further discussion? If not, and without objection, item six will be placed on consent. Next item is item seven, Yadkin Road self-storage. Mr. McKay. Uh, I have no updates on this application and we've received no public comment. Thank you. Uh, any commissioners have a conflict with this application? Any questions for staff? Any further discussion? Hearing no objections, uh, item seven will be placed on the consent agenda. Next item is item eight. Mr. McKay will stay there for 3161 Battlefield Gas Station. Uh, yeah, same thing here. We have no updates and no public opposition. Any commissioners have conflict with this application? Any questions for staff? I, I have a question, if you don't Mr. mind. Mr. Gerloff. Yep. Um, and Mr. McKay, this may be a Jay Tate question back there. Um, wondering about stipulation number three, and that's the landscaping plan. And this is just for my own curiosity. I don't mm -hmm. object to the stipulation. Just wondering why we include that stipulation. Because when I was looking through the uh, department comments, um, it was pretty much, um, I think zoning said that uh, it's required to meet the provisions of the landscaping ordinance, which to me just seems like it's required anyway. And then landscaping just said, landscaping plan will be required at final site plan, which I think that's required as well by the zoning ordinance. So was there any particular reason why we have a specific stipulation that they have to provide a landscaping plan? Because it sounds like they're going to have to do it anyway by the zoning ordinance. Just didn't know what if I was missing something. Or yeah, well, I, I think the reason for that was that uh, we weren't sure if they were going to have to go through a final site plan. Okay. Approval. Uh, Mr. Tate, can you shed some light on that? Yeah, I appreciate the question because we generally do not like stipulations if they're already covered by code. Um, one of the things that's a little trickier is if you have an existing building and there's the potential that you wouldn't go through a final site plan, right. in which case we should have that as a stipulation and then a timing element for when they would accomplish it. Yeah, and that's why it has the 60 days. Got it. <clears throat> Makes sense. Thank you. Okay. Any further questions for staff? Any further discussion? 
If there are no objections, item 8 will be placed on the consent agenda. Brings us to item 9, porch extensions with Mr. Hobbs. Good evening. We do not have any updates and we have not received any citizen comments. Thank you. Uh, do any commissioners have conflicts? Can't imagine there would be. Any questions for staff? I'll ask a question just because I learned, because Mr. McNamara explained this with crayons, I was trying to understand this. Um, this, I don't know. this this extension, how it applies. If occur, I understand that currently, if you have a five foot porch, it basically is fine. But if it were seven foot, you you lose all of it. Could you explain to us how this this measurement applies and and, and any impacts to property owners in the future? You know, because of uh, you know, incursion, incursion and easements and those types of things. Sure. The way, um, the way the current ordinance is worded, it's a little odd. It's a standard measured from the from the front building wall. So your front porch can encroach into the front yard setback as long as the porch doesn't project more than five foot from your front building wall. So if your porch is six foot deep, which is what we encourage, so you can put a chair on it and have a, and have a livable, usable porch, it wouldn't be allowed to encroach at all. So to have that one foot bigger porch, you'd have to move your entire house back so that the porch would be completely behind the front yard setback line. So we think really the intent of the ordinance is to allow a five foot encroachment. So we just wrote that so that any unenclosed front porch could encroach no more than five foot. But it's still far enough back that there's no impact with right away and that kind of those Correct. Kind of issues. Correct. In fact, uh, the ordinance requires a minimum 20 foot setback from the front property line. Great, thank you. Any other commissioners have questions? Commissioner Turner. Just for clarification, 20-foot setback, this is allowing for five-foot encroachment, giving 15 total clearance. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? You can encroach up to five foot into the front yard setback, as long as you also maintain a minimum of 20 foot from, from, the, from the front property line. Okay, I see, all right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And we looked at our conventional zoning districts and our smallest front yard setback is 25 foot. So in our PUDs, it could be a lot closer, but we would address this in the development criteria of the PUD. Thank you. Okay. Any further questions or discussion? Any objections to placing item nine on the consent agenda? If not, item nine will make us into a 100% consent agenda. So the uh, consent agenda uh, I, I consists of following items. Items three through nine, there is no regular agenda, and items one and two will be continued. The next order of business is the Planning Commission Committee Reports, uh, ARC Committee Report. Commissioner Gerloff. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Commissioner Turner and I have been attending the ARC meetings. We sent out a committee report to everyone. Uh, the meeting on February 15th, there were four uh, rezoning requests that will be upcoming, upcoming and three use permits. Uh, and that's it. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, next, we have um, upcoming items. Uh, first is a summary of new public hearing items received by Mr. Bostwick. 
Okay, as you just heard from Com Commissioner Gerloff, we have two use permits. I'm breaking down the rezonings into one PUD and three conventional or conditional rezonings. And that's it. Thank you. And Mr. Hobbs, I understand we have some new initiated text amendments. Yes, we have two this month. One is a request for us to look at uh, the, billboard, the billboard ordinance, which is part of uh, the sign ordinance and the city zoning ordinance. There's a concern with the stakeholder that wants to discuss some modifications to that. Uh, the other text amendment is going to be uh, it's in regards to cosmetic tattooing or microblading. So we'll be looking at making a, a distinction between that and treating that differently than a normal uh, tattoo establishment. Thank you. Next, we have the first of, in a few months of a special presentation. The Honorable Mr. Jay Tate, Director of Development and Permits, will give us the 411 on transportation. Okay, this um, idea originally um, was initiated as a result of some discussion recently at the intersection of St. Bride's Road and Battlefield. And me and um, Mr. McNamara indicated, well, let's make it a little bit bigger in scope to give the overview of just what occurs in development and permits and public works traffic engineering as it relates to traffic problems throughout the city. So planning commission is focused mostly on development and as a result of that you deal mostly with me because the Department of Development and Permits is responsible for all development, including development that constructs roads built in the city with private development Troy Eisenberger, adjacent to me, is the traffic engineer for Public Works, and their primary focus is the operations of existing roads and then also the planning and construction of roads that are funded through state and federal dollars and, of course, city projects as well. So I will focus the majority of this presentation on what does development and permits do, and we will move forward, and at the end we will give um, um, Troy about... What do you need? Like about 15, 20 minutes to, no. I've got five minutes, but I can talk traffic signals in the parking lot if people want, so we're, <laughs> we're good to go. Yes, you got a mic there. Okay, so starting out, first of all, the most important thing to know is that development permits, even though we're responsible for development, we don't do it alone. We work closely with Public Works Traffic Engineering. Now, that's easy to do because development and permits was a department that was created in 2009 as a reorganization of people from public works and neighborhood services. So we work well together, and even though I'm responsible for development and, and Troy's responsible for city projects, it's not unusual that we work closely together on both types of projects because, you know, we both have unique experiences that can contribute towards the best product for the city. As that goes, public works traffic engineering they are the primary reviewer of the traffic impact analysis. And so if you read the words in the traffic impact analysis, there's, you know, the initial assumptions, and we're heavily in those, and some of the um, initial premises that go into the distribution of traffic. And then 
there's like pages and pages of analysis that's a result of various um, programs run for capacity. And that's done primarily by public works traffic engineering. And at the end of that, it spits out a conclusion which circles back to development and permits. And so that's why we have to work so closely as a team to come up with a recommendation to planning and planning commission. Um, okay, and then one of the things that came up at the previous meeting was, well, what about the city's, what about the citizens' overall concerns about traffic? Well, most traffic doesn't come through city, traffic investigations or complaints don't come through planning commission and city council. People are free to go directly to traffic engineering or through the customer service request system to make requests and they have multiple people in traffic engineering that are involved in those which Troy will cover later. So as it relates to what do we do when we have an application for um, a use permit or a rezoning? Well, the first thing we do, the overall arching thing is adequate public facilities. So planning looks to development and permits to say, are there adequate public facilities for the proposed application? And with that, some of it is very well defined. You have a level of service policy that's very meticulous in defining an exact set of calculations, which intersections and streets do you consider, which traffic do you consider, and so forth. So we provide that level of service analysis. Now, one thing we also provide as it relates to the level of service analysis beyond the specifics that's required is sometimes there's an impact of additional traffic created as it relates to um, intersections that are outside the limits of the level of service fear of influence. We still provide that information because it, it addresses the bigger question of adequate public facilities, even though it's not specifically required by the level of service um, policy. So how do we make our recommendations? You know, you may or may not have a lot of faith in me or Troy, but what you should have faith in is engineering is more of a science than an art. And so as a result of that, we rely on published standards and, you know, I might have an opinion of how much traffic is generated by a certain use, and Troy may have another. But for consistency, we use the manuals that are shown in this picture here. And we also use it for all the traffic control devices that we use. So you shouldn't go in one city and see one set of traffic control devices used. You should see a similar um, set of traffic controls throughout. And when there's a change, you know, one of the most recent changes, I think, is the flashing yellow light. You shouldn't see it only in Chesapeake because that was Troy's idea. You should see it throughout because that's the importance of consistency as it relates to um, implementation of various standards. Um, so beyond the level of service policy, we also consider bro broader areas where there is subjudgment as it relates to it. So we provide um, a coordination with city projects. That's another reason why um, it's important public works be involved. So if there's an element of a development that's related to a city project, we want to make sure they're coordinated and one won't adversely affect the other. Then there's specific features that are related to a development, 
like you could have situations where there's an entrance or traffic is being increased on a deficient roadway. Shipyard Road's a good example where there was deficiencies of curves very close to Bryant's Cove. And as a result of us identifying that, the developer was encouraged to address that deficiency and they actually corrected a curve issue because they were increasing traffic on an existing facility that shouldn't be increased with that deficiency. Um, another typical one is pavement width. You also have um, a lot of access management issues as far as crossovers and entrances. Um, uh, an application that's going to be coming forward in the future was very challenging. It's called Oxford, and it was very challenging if you've read the report on that or maybe the report hadn't been published. Um, uh, what do they call that when you let the, the end of the story go before it? Anyway, one of the things is there's a development, major development along Battlefield Boulevard, and they're in between two traffic signals, and those traffic signals are the right spacing, but because there was inadequate planning of where parcels were cut as it related to the progression of undeveloped properties, now that property is severely challenged with how do you get a safe access that's also convenient to the end users of the parcel. So access management, it can't start too early. It really needs to start on a rural road when the very first parcel goes in because after that, you have too many restrictions on where you can plan the frequency of entrances, which is also one of the issues that came up with the, um, um, what was the name of that, Osprey. And the other thing that we look at is the, freq the frequency of accidents. Accidents for numerous reasons, they can be an indication of bad geometry, it could be an indication of a signal warrant, but we look for that as one of the deficiencies of a roadway and what needs to be addressed and to the extent it affects a rezoning or use permit application, we would include that in our analysis and recommendations to you. As a result of this analysis, we might encourage developers to make road improvements as it relates to road widening, additions of traffic signals, construction of turn lanes, and so forth. So a lot of the proffers come out of the TIAs and also the judgment of public works and development and permits regarding the mitigation of impacts of a new development. So the number one thing here is traffic signals. And this right here, this is not a street in Battlefield, I mean in Chesapeake, because it's a one-way street and we don't have a whole lot of one-way streets. But when we finish this, you will see why we don't want to end up like this. Traffic signals have warrants. And if you refer back to one of the books, the books that we refer to when we determine if a signal is warranted is the Manual Uniform of Traffic Control Devices, um, also MUTCD. And that provides very specific warrants. And those warrants are federal warrants. and um, if you talk to anyone in the federal or state government, they'll say everyone in the state is obligated to follow the same warrant. So just like consistency is important where you use other traffic control devices, you're also supposed to follow the guidelines as it relates to signals. So we will go through the warrants, but one of the things that this manual spent 
allocated time within the manual of when is the signal good and when is the signal bad. And for the most part, people generally think, well, what can be bad about a traffic signal? And the problems with traffic signal is just like this one right here. It delays the through move for an interruption in traffic so that the minor street can get out. And that can be a problem. It couldn't be just an inconvenience, but it can also be a problem as it relates to capacity. The other thing that people don't think about is, well, we need a signal because we need to avoid accidents. Well, this right here is a good example of signals are anticipated to create accidents. So if you are putting in a signal for the purpose of eliminating accidents, you should have two things. One is enough accidents that would be um, eliminated as a result of having a signal and that needs to offset the anticipated number of accidents that you would have as a result of interrupting traffic that would otherwise be moving through at the same speed. And rear ends is a typical accident that is created as a result of installing a signal. So those are some of the pros and cons. Let's get real quick to here are the warrants. Now, there's nine warrants, but um, Troy reminded me before the meeting that they do most of the warrant studies as a result of citizens saying we need a signal. And they do the studies, they do traffic counts, they look at the number of accidents. And primarily, the first two warrants are the drivers of most signals. And the reason is because signals are such a capacity killer, they need to have a justification of interrupting through traffic to allow out other people. So if you have 100 vehicles that are going to be interrupted for one person, you don't want to do it so the person doesn't wait a whole minute. You would need justification. And that justification is a result of traffic counts and a determination of the volume warrants it. And that's why you don't see a signal at every, inter you don't see a signal at every intersection. It's where there's sufficient through volume as well as intersecting volumes. And circling back to access management, and you know access management is kind of a separate point, but if you have good access, you don't need as many signals and you can have better progression. Ideally, we would have intersections that were a mile apart before you would have another um, traffic signal and that would allow, but to do that, you need enough interconnectivity so that people in between that one mile would have access to a signal for those peak hours so that they could safely get out onto that major street. So number one and two, those are self-explanatory. They're traffic volumes. Number three is, is an unusual situation where you have a stadium or something like that where it's just such a high super peak that you need to provide safe um, way out. You frequently see in those situations just a police officer that's not the safest way to direct traffic when you have a high volume, you know, to put an officer out, that, but that does occur for infrequent uses. Other warrants include um, in very intense urban areas, you might have a signal for a pedestrian volume or for a school crossing. All these are based on engineering studies and warrants based on the number of past um, pedestrians that would be crossing. Um, you have multiple signals in a coordinated system and where you want to keep traffic moving along at a consistent um, platoon, you might have a signal created 
with the warrants six or eight. And then number seven, crash, that's the one that is hardest to explain, especially if you have a fatal accident at an intersection. People will say, well, if there was a fatality, there must be a problem. Well, you have fatalities in a lot of intersections, and it's not necessarily something that would be eliminated with a signal. In fact, a signal can increase it. So it sounds a little cold to say, well, if there's a fatality, that doesn't necessarily mean you need a signal because you still need to meet the warrants because the warrants are driven by analysis that says you will have other accidents and other injuries with the installation of a signal. So specifically, and I'm going off memory, Troy, is it five avoidable accidents in a year for a warrant based on crashes? Yeah, so, so number seven does have a volume component to it as well. So. It's, it's not a purely crash-driven, it's a, it's a lower volume threshold than you have in warrants one and two, but there is, you know, I think it's 70% of those, so that you, you do want enough volume to, to, to necessitate a signal, but uh, yeah, it's, it's five crashes that can be reasonably avoided, so your angle crashes coming through an intersection within a 12-month 12, 12 period. And uh, lastly, as it relates to um, like rail crossings, that would be at number nine. Now, at this point, I'd like to turn it over to Troy for, as it relates to the kind of um, inquiries that are made by citizens, what y'all do as it relates to traffic signals. Um, to the end or just in general? Um, just the signal-related ones. Yeah, and I'm, I might go over this. I've got a slide at the end. We've get, we got... Last year, um, roughly a little bit less than 500 CSRs come through our department. So there's, and that's everything that we go ahead and if it's, if it's a phone call or if it comes directly into the CSR system. Um, and so that's usually the main way that we have what I'll just call stop control requests. So the two main forms of those are, are, are folks wanting a signal in a certain area um, and more common is can I get a four-way stop? We have a, we have, there's two stop signs there. Can we get a four-way stop? Um, so when, when of those, you know, we'll call them 500, maybe 10% um, we have are, are for stop controlled. Maybe 5% of those um, are, are for, for signal requests. So that's sort of our, for our intake. And then, oh, it's right up there. Um, so we go through, um, I'll jump back to the top. So, um, the first one is just the city code that, that's why, you know, why traffic signals are, are, are in our group. There's some other things such as the setting of speed limits that fall within traffic engineering. Um, Jay covered the second one that we follow MUTCD from the standpoint of, you know, it's, it's a nationally accepted process. We don't want to reinvent things in Chesapeake if we don't have to. There is a Virginia supplement. It, um, goes through and looks at things that VDOT has said that we do things a little bit different in Virginia. So it's, it's cases where they're, they're, they're more strict, mostly in signs. There's, there's signs that you'll see only in Virginia. Anytime you see a sign, you know, you'll see a no cell phone sign in Maryland, but you won't see it in Virginia. And that's a case of that state adopting a supplement to the MUTCD where they say nationally this is what you have to do and in our state we're going to be a little strict in, in, in certain regards. Um, so that's our government, governing document. When we get requests for, you know, first, first, first stop control, whether it's a four-way stop or a signal, 
It doesn't immediately put it into a warrant. So within the context of a, of a signal warrant, right away someone could say, I want a signal here, and it's 500 feet away from another signal. Well, that's, we know that signal won't function like it should. Um, you can see that a side street is perhaps, you know, just obviously has a very low volume. And the third thing that can be is just, we, we think there's a better solution there. Um, so we've done about 12 warrants in the last three years. So, you know, mentioned 500 citizen requests a year from no parking and all this stuff. It actually results in very few warrants we end up doing, mostly because there's a better off-ramp or a better way for us to handle that concern along the way. Um, and then the final bullet, and kind of echoing what Jay said, that, that signals and four-way stops often have adverse conditions. Um, he's covered the higher crash rates, excessive delays. You, one thing that we see is the, 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 that our new signal down here that you've seen is that when we put a new signal in places, it creates alternate traffic patterns. So people who used to go one way are now going to go another way to avoid the signal and things like that. The, probably I think the one thing that unwarranted stop conditions do is it's it causes what I'll call it like a disrespect or a, a, um, folks not following that traffic signal anymore. And the best example I can put is if you think about a four-way stop that was previously a two-way stop and you're used to going through it and not stopping and now it's a four-way stop. And you pull up and you're like, I never see anybody come the other direction. And you continue to pull up there and you're like, I never see. So that full stop turns into a rolling stop. And now when that stop sign gets run, what previously was a through condition where both drivers knew what to do um, you know, is, is a more severe crash. So there's definitely a lifespan, I think, for unwarranted stop conditions where I would say drivers will determine themselves if they think it's a warranted stop condition. It's the law. People have to stop. But at unwarranted stop conditions, over time, drivers will make the decision that, well, I don't have to follow this per se, and that results in more severe accidents. So all that sort of how requests come in how they may turn into signals, and how we look at things through our group. Okay, and the last thing that I wanted to cover is when citizens come up here, they may come out to talk about a specific rezoning or a use permit, but some of their requests may go beyond the scope of your scope, which is rezonings and use permits. So when it's beyond the scope, there's a challenge of, well, how do we address the citizen concerns? And for those of you who didn't know, I'm in the back, and when a citizen asks for something that's related to DNP, um, we will frequently take down their information, and sometimes we'll catch them here, and sometimes we'll use the card to circle back with them, and we'll go ahead and investigate their complaint. Now, if you want to feel proactive, like Planning Commission owes them something because they came out to speak, you can pass that on directly through CSR yourself, or you can give it back to staff and say, you know, Mr. Tate's in the room, this is related to development and permits, I'm seeing he's writing it down and I know he'll investigate it, you can talk to him in the back. And that way you can at least put him in touch with the people who can do these studies. And the answer really doesn't get that much quicker if it goes from Planning Commission through another path as it is just to make sure you can confirm, yes, staff's going to look into it, and they'll be happy to get back with you in a timely manner. So with that, I think we covered everything. Um, I see Mr. McNamara shaking his head. So any questions that you would like regarding the services we provide you? 
Any questions from the commission? Mr. Turner, it looks like you have one. Yes, I just want to say thank you. Um, I know this had a lot to do with some of the questions I brought forward. And, and what I was referring to, and it actually came up in this and, and my um, level or lack of knowledge, uh, this has been very insightful, so thank you for that. But what I was speaking to was that peak the peak uh, warrant where it was talking about the Saturdays and Sundays with the uh, nice weather traffic going north, north and south. That was good. But I didn't know how to necessarily verbalize it, so I appreciate the, uh, the education. Thank you. Okay, and as it goes for training, I know, you know a lot of the planning commissioners look for opportunities to train. I would say one of the things, a subject that is part of um, planning is access management. You would think it's all traffic, but it affects other things as it relates to con connectivity. It's one of the most difficult things to deal with because citizens inevitably don't want anyone else connected to them. And, you know, they all want their own signal. They don't want to share their own signal, and they don't want to be connected to anybody. And um, I was actually in a neighborhood that wanted a street closure because they didn't want to be connected to anybody. So it's a common thing, but there is planning elements as it relates to that. And, you know, if you ever get the opportunity, access management would be, you know, a nice feather to have in the overall planning um, portfolio. Thank you. Any other questions? Let me follow up on that access management because that has come up a lot on a lot of applications. Can you can you give us just a general overview from a training perspective of of, of of some of the basic rules that are associated with that? Like the when do you need to have two accesses? When do you need to have fire access and those types of things? Because a lot of these applications get into that and those are the questions that come to you. Right. So the primary purposes of access management, and I have Troy here, so Troy, don't hesitate to step in is one to maintain the functionality of the road but two it's also to get drivers the opportunity to drive on the road that's appropriate for their trips so if two neighborhoods are together you don't want them to have to go on an arterial road or a school bus to go on an arterial road it's not effective for transportation and it's not safe to have unnecessary conflicts as it relates to access management the problem in Chesapeake that's driven access management very difficult is we have an overabundance of very small parcels. So when we deal with someone who has enough frontage for a cul-de-sac, they can't imagine the importance of, well, all I want is six lots. What do you mean I have to have a stub street? Well, we can't have everyone connected to the arterial and have an intersection every 300 feet. It's just not safe. It's not the right thing to do. So. That's why access management is so important, and they're actually, and I meant to put it in the, in the slide, and maybe we'll figure out another way to get, get it, but if you, if you pictured um, a city without a lot of water bodies that, you know, affect the layout of streets, you would see a major grade system, grid system, and the biggest grids would be your principal arterials, your interstates, and they're pretty far apart. And then you would have arterials that might be a mile apart. And then to get to those arterials, you don't have cul-de-sacs, you have collector streets that then serve it. So if you can follow that, what it does is it provides the safest transportation and the most efficient and um, that's really the gold. Now, you know, we don't have that perfect world, and we have wetlands and water bodies and things that were there. But I think 
y'all have all been around long enough you can say, man, that sure is weird that Shillelagh Road isn't connected to Cedar Road except at Dominion Boulevard. You know, that's an oddity. We're trying to eliminate that with the Master Road Plan and Scenic Parkway. And, you know, Johnstown Road not connected to Cedar Road. Was that really a great plan? But if you start putting together this puzzle in very small pieces, it's tough, you know, 20 years later to find out, oh, man, we really should have had a route where you could have gotten Hanbury Road all the way through to Cedar Road. Now, that'll never happen now because of the intensity developed. But as you move south or in some of the less developed areas, those are principles that are there. And to overcome the thinking of, of um, well, you know, I remember the days when they said Portsmouth Boulevard, well, you'll never have anything off that street. What are you worried about traffic there? And I told people at that time, well, they probably said that about Greenbrier Parkway and look at it. You know, luckily there's very good access management along Greenbrier Parkway. You know, you don't see signals as frequently as Battlefield Boulevard or Cedar Road because it was so well planned. So I'm pretty sure I missed your question, but if not. No, it was just the, the layout there of, yeah. of, 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 you know, some of the basic principles because, you know, we've, we've seen them in a lot of, you see it a lot in the applications mm -hmm. and the, the elbow road corridor comes to mind. And, and even the, the, the one we heard last month or the month before with the um, adventure park and those types of things where it impacted uh, uh, the, those topics. So I'm just trying to, you know, mm -hmm. get them basically in land. So I appreciate mm -hmm. it. Any other questions? Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. And uh, it looks like uh, the Virginia Tech grads will uh, be able to see the game at 930. <laughs> All right, next on the agenda, I believe we have uh, Chairman's comments. You didn't have any comments in particular. I will bring up two things and we may bring it up later. The first thing is a reminder that on March 29th that we will have a, uh, a working session, a work session, um, and I believe we're going to do it at 5.30. Do we agree to that? Everybody okay with 5.30? Uh, the reason I'm, we're asking for that is so that the staff doesn't wait till 7 o'clock to start a meeting when they're, they're here all day already. And that will be a review of the new 2232 projects because I think we cleaned up all the, uh, the, the, back, the backlog uh, last, uh, last fall. So uh, please uh, mark your calendars and let me know if you're unable to attend that. Um, the next, the next piece is, is we uh, by our bylaws, we have an annual review of the bylaws, um, and uh, did everyone get a copy of those in their packet tonight? I believe. So, um, the the way this works is, is that we have appointed a, basically a, a two-person subcommittee, um, which is Commissioner Bearfield and myself this year, and um, we review these for any any recommended changes. And if there are recommended changes, we have to give ourselves basically two weeks' notice um, to uh, to do that. So what I would ask of you as a commission is um, that by the 22nd, if you would get to me and, and really to the attorneys and, and Commissioner Barefield, if you would get to us any inputs that you have, please don't discuss them so we don't get into public discussion, that kind of stuff. So if you just get them to, to actually just get them to me or Commissioner Barefield, and I'll make sure that the attorneys get them. And they'll, they'll work up the appropriate language. I mean, I, I, will, I will highlight two things that, and in fact, we have a few minutes to even discuss now that, that, that I'm thinking about, and, and I don't have the solution, but just things that have come up that I think in, in a procedural uh, perspective, and that is uh, first off on the, when we have the primary applicant speaker, 
Um, because of our rules, oftentimes on the, on the more controversial items, we end up cutting those speakers down to three minutes. And I would like us to consider uh, a provision, I don't care if it's five minutes, six minutes, whatever, some period, defined period of time for them to, to be able to present effectively not everyone, they can't go, they can't game us and, and say that there's, you know, 17 people presenting on, on that and they each get six minutes, but have, you know, and it's typically their attorney that represents them come in and give a, I'd say six minutes or something like that, because they're giving an overview of the whole project and what they've gone through. And we, we get that from the staff, but then you get the perspective of where they brought that from. So I'd like us to consider a change there. And that would be under, I guess, probably article eight under hearings. Um, and then also um, something that's come up and it gets at sort of how do we best and most efficiently run our meetings and that's the uh, uh, item E under uh, article eight talks about any commissioner may call individual speakers back to the podium to conclude their remarks at the end of the public comment. I'd like us to consider maybe looking at some language there that is to ask specific questions of speakers, right? So what we don't wanna end up with is um, just droning on and, and grandstanding with, with you know, <laughs> comments that aren't pertinent to the issue. As, as, as we've, we've tried to continually improve our, our hearings to be exactly that, that this is a hearing and that we're hearing facts and, and, and opinions, but those opinions need to be germane to, to the topic at hand. And I think that, but if, if we look at that language and then also we execute it as a body of, of ensuring that we call those back. Those are two of the items that I would like us to consider and that, that I would, you know, and, and they'll be presented um, uh, at, at, at that meeting. And the reason I asked for that by the 22nd is that gives the, the staff a week to turn it around. And then any changes that we have will be given notice at, at our meeting on the 29th so that the bylaws can be voted on on the, uh, the next uh, regular meeting in April. Um, so that, that's some thoughts on that. Further, um, because we have so many new folks and, and actually part of, part of the series of the pre-meetings is that I have asked the acting city attorney and the acting or, or, or planning commission attorney or whatever titles we have this month, uh, I've asked our, our legal staff to help us walk through the bylaws and next month, just like we heard a presentation this month. So we'll, hear, we'll vote on them, but also talk a little bit about procedures and how we can most effectively and efficiently run our meetings and, and use the resources that we have, right? Maybe asking questions of the staff, I can question the attorneys and that kind of thing. So I uh, have that on the plate. Um, any other questions or, or comments about the bylaws? Okay. Um, hearing none, is there any other business that needs to be brought before the body for the pre-meeting? If not, this meeting stands adjourned at 6.45 p.m.
The Planning Commission public hearing for March 8, 2023 is now in session. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. For those who wish to participate, you are invited to remain standing for the invocation. Commissioner Forbes will lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance and I will offer an invocation. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as citizens of this city, of this commonwealth, and of this great nation. We are thankful for the blessings that we have been given and, and for all the bounty that is around us. We, we are thankful for our environment. We are thankful for our communities. And we pray that, that you give us wisdom and patience and understanding as we go about listening to the business of the city. In your name we pray, amen. Please be seated and as a reminder, please silence your cell phones or at least turn them to the off position. I would like to welcome each of you to our meeting tonight and thank you for taking part in the business of our city. Mr. Bostwick, would you please call the roll? Commissioner Barefield. Present. Commissioner Cruz. Present. Commissioner Forbes. Present. Commissioner Gerloff. Here. Commissioner Gilbert. Here. Commissioner Morehusen. Here. Commissioner Suela. Present. Commissioner Turner. Here. Chairman Steiner. Here. The minutes for the February 8th, 2023 public hearing are being considered for approval. Do the commissioners have any corrections or revisions? If there are no corrections, the minutes are approved by unanimous consent. The commission rules and procedures are available at the table in the front of the chambers, on the screen in the chambers, and they're also available online at our website. The chair asks that each of you follow these guidelines. Speakers who violate the rules of the public hearing will, be, will receive one verbal warning within the course of the evening. Upon planning commission action of either approval or denial, the remainder of the items shall be heard by city council next month on either the third or fourth Tuesday, beginning at 6.30 p.m. in this chamber, unless otherwise announced tonight. Citizens may contact the city clerk's office or the planning department the Friday after this planning commission meeting to find out which date the item will be heard by city council. The first order of business is the consideration of requests to withdraw or continue an item. Normally, the commission allows an item to be withdrawn without further discussion. In the case of continuances, it is the planning commission's policy to normally, to normally continue the item as requested by the applicant. Mr. Bostwick, are there any requests for withdrawal or continuance? Yes, we have two items requesting a continuance and no items requesting withdrawal. Thank you. Would you please read the proposed applications into the record? The first application is PLN-REZ-2022-007. The project is Oxford. Applicant is Oxford Properties, LLC. Owners, EMS, LLC, Lynn Marr, LLC, and PAC-38, LLC. Agency is Williams Mullen and Kimley Horn and Associates, Incorporated. Their proposal is a conditional zoning reclassification of approximately 11.6 acres from B2 General Business District and ONI Office and Institutional District to RMF2 Multifamily Residential District, 10.26 acres, B5 Urban Business District, 
0.52 acres and C1 Conservation District 0.8 acres. The location is 900 Battlefield Boulevard North in the Rivercrest planning area. And the companion conditional use permit is PLN-USC-2022-017. The project is Oxford. Applicant is Oxford Properties, LLC. Owners, EMS, LLC, Lynn Marr, LLC, and PAC 83, LLC. Agencies, William Mullen and Kimley Hornan Associates, Incorporated. The proposal is a conditional use permit to allow two private access lanes to cross zoning district lines and a request for a height exception to allow a maximum building height of 57 feet. The location is 900 Battlefield Boulevard North in the Rivercrest planning area. Based upon the applicant's request, staff recommends that PLN-REZ-2022-007 and PLN-USE-2022-017 be continued to the April 12, excuse me, that was PLN-USE-2022-017 be continued to the April 12, 2023 Planning Commission meeting. Thank you, Mr. Boswick. Commissioner Forbes, are there any speakers on the items for continuance of withdrawal? There are not. Since there are no speakers, the chair will accept a motion to continue withdrawal. The items is read into the record by Mr. Bostwick. So moved. Second. We have properly made motion by Commissioner Gerloff, seconded by Commissioner Turner. All commissioners, please prepare to vote. Please vote. Mr. Bostwick, record the vote. By a vote of nine to zero, the motion carries. The second order of business is consideration of the consent agenda. The consent agenda contains those items that the planning staff believes are unopposed and have a favorable staff recommendation. Speakers on items placed on the consent agenda will be given a total of five minutes to address the commission. If you have an objection to an item being placed on the consent agenda, please note that objection when you address the commission. Secretary Forbes. Are there any items on the consent agenda in which there are three or more speakers in opposition? No. At this point, the consent agenda consists of items three through nine? Nine, correct? Mm -hmm. All right, Mr. Bostwick, would you please read the consent agenda items into the record? Item three, PLN-REZ-2022 Dash 017. The project is 1748 Battlefield Boulevard South. The applicant is COB Properties LLC. The owner is Robert Arnold. Agency is Williams Mullen. The proposal is a conditional zoning reclassification of 3.7 acres from R15S Residential District to B2 General Business District for a funeral home. The applicant also requests expansion of the Public Utilities Franchise Area. The location is 1748 Battlefield Boulevard South in the Great Bridge Planning Area. Based on the findings contained in the staff report, staff recommends that PLN-REZ-2022-017 be approved with the proffers as listed in the official agenda. Next is item four. 
as PLN-REZ-2022-018. The project is Lineage Logistics. The applicant is Lineage Logistics, LLC. The owner is True Love Properties, LLC. The agency is Vanassi Hangen Brustlin Incorporated. The proposal is a conditional zoning reclassification of approximately five acres from B2 General Business District to M1 Light Industrial District. The location is 2922 South Military Highway in the Deep Creek Planning Area. Based on the findings contained in the staff report, staff recommends that PLN-REZ-2022-018 be approved with the proffers as listed in the official agenda. Next is item five. It is PLN-USC-2022-023. The project is Vogue Lashes and Spa, Chesapeake. The applicant is Vogue Lashes and Spa, Chesapeake, LLC. The owner, I'm sorry, the, yes, the owner is 601 Volvo Parkway, LLC. Their proposal is a conditional use permit to request to offer cosmetic tattoo services within a beauty salon. The location is 605 Volvo Parkway, Suite 110 in the Greenbrier Planning Area. Based on the findings contained in the staff report, staff recommends that PLN-USC-2022-023 be approved with stipulations as listed in the official agenda. Next is item six. PLN-USC-2022-035. The project is Green Clean Nells Ridge. Applicant is Green Clean Battlefield, LLC. Owner is SG Fout, LLC. Agency is Kimley Horn and Associates Incorporated. The proposal is a conditional use permit to operate a car wash. The location is 801 Battlefield Boulevard North in the Rivercrest planning area. Based on the findings contained in the staff report, staff recommends that PLN-USC-2022-035 be approved with the stipulations as listed in the official agenda. Next is item seven. PLN-USC-2022-047. The project is Yadkin Road Self-Storage. Applicant is Yadkin Road, LLC. Owner is Myers Development, LLC. Their proposal is a conditional use permit to allow a self-storage facility on a 3.3-acre parcel. The location is 2816 Yadkin Road in the Deep Creek Planning Area. Based on the findings contained in the staff report, staff recommends that PLN-USC-2022-047 be approved with stipulations as listed in the official agenda. Next, we have item number eight, PLN-USC-2022-052. The project is 3161 Battlefield Gas Station. Applicant owner is Jai Kanesha 2. VA LLC. The proposal is a conditional use permit to allow a gas station on a 0.78 acre parcel. The location is 3161 Battlefield Boulevard South in the Southern Chesapeake Planning Area. Based on the findings contained in the staff report, staff recommends that PLN-USC-2022-052 be approved with the stipulations as listed in the official agenda. Finally, we have item number nine. PLN-TXT-2023-001, the project is permitted extensions. The proposal is an ordinance amending Appendix A of the Chesapeake City Code, entitled Zoning, Article 19, Section 19-202, to modify permitted extensions into minimum required yards. 
Based on the findings contained in the staff report, staff recommends that PLN-TXT-2023-001, version dated January 30, 2023, be approved as listed in the official agenda. Thank you, Mr. Bostwick. Commissioner, or Secretary Forbes, do we have any speakers for items on the consent agenda? Yes. Would you please call the speakers for the items on the consent agenda? Speaking uh, on agenda item number three uh, is Grady Palmer. Okay. Speaking in opposition on agenda item number three is Vic Nichols. Thank you, Ms. Nichols. If you would please state your name and address for the record. Vic Nichols, 1124 Mill Lake Quarter. Um, my only concern is uh, the PUFA, um, making sure that commercial actually pays their way because we know that there are a number of things commercial does not pay the full price of the services they receive. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Nichols. Are there any other speakers on item three? No more item, uh, speakers for item number three. Please call the next item. Okay. Uh, for speaking on agenda item number four, I have Jess Ewing. Ewing, standing by for questions. Uh, I have Kenneth Rodiand also available for questions. Thomas Carey, standing by for questions. And Vic Nichols speaking in opposition. Do you need everything all over again or? No, okay. No, On, this is all consent agenda, so it is all together. Okay. On. Um, this is item four. Thank you, Ma. Okay, on the drainage impact analysis, how will this project address the increase in stormwater runoff as a result of development? Please note, although the post-development peak flow is less than pre-developed, the increase of volume must be addressed in areas with existing deficiencies. And then <clears throat> later on it states, this project will address the increase in stormwater runoff by including the stormwater BMPs to hold black back flow rate and volume at or below the existing condition. So I wanted to see if y'all could take a look at that. I just, for me, I found that kind of um, bit of an issue. Thanks. Thank you. Can we move to the next item, please? Okay. Speaking on agenda item number five, um, I have Ulena Taylor available for questions. And Vic Nichols speaking, speaking in support. Yeah, we, we already wanted a tat shop, so you, you know we want this. Thank you. All right, speaking on agenda item number six, I have Greg Schmidt standing by for questions and Vic Nichols speaking in opposition. Um, my only concern is we already have two car washes that are about a mile down the street from this in the um, battlefield and <coughs> Volvo area. I just don't want us to be like Detroit next door to us at Portsmouth, for those of you that don't know. Thank you. Okay. Item. Yeah. Uh, speaking on, on, sorry. Speaking on agenda item number seven, I have Grady Palmer standing by for questions. And speaking in opposition on agenda item number seven is Vic Nichols. Okay, it says the site will use existing trees and vegetation <clears throat> for screening from adjacent parcels. Um, the height exception they're looking at is 43 feet, not 35 feet. Um, is there going to be enough at 43 
feet that if they take a couple of them or something because of issues, they try to top them or something like that, um, is, is that going to, uh, you know, make sure that it's truly covered? Thank you. Thank you. And lastly, speaking on agenda item number eight, I have Jack Nassar. Stand by for questions or would you like to speak? All right, that concludes our speakers. Commissioners, do you have any questions for staff? I'm going to go ahead and ask the question because I think uh, Ms. Nichols made a couple points that I think are worthy of uh, at least uh, uh, addressing in the public forum. Uh, first on agenda item three, how, how, uh, how is the allocation uh, given to a developer with, uh, when, a, when a PUFA expansion is approved? Can somebody in the staff handle that for us? Mr. McNamara. So I think this will be two parts. I'm going to ask Mr. West to come on down as well. Um, but the public utility franchise area is basically broken down into two uh, sections. Uh, the tan section, which you see up here, is the existing utility franchise area, and that's the area of the city which is intended to be served with public utilities. The red area is what we know as the 2035 expansion area, and these are areas that, you know, upon request can be included into the public utilities franchise area, and it's at that point in time that those, uh, those properties can be served. Now, as part of the service for these properties, those are reviewed on how, how those are going to be, ex how utilities can be extended to those properties and invite Mr. West up to kind of talk specifically about this request and uh, how they intend to provide service. Huh, got the mic, all right, good. So the, um, Edinburgh area, the entire Edinburgh area was master planned a couple of decades ago and along with that master plan was developed a uh, backbone infrastructure plan that not only served Edinburgh but was also uh, arranged to extend utilities to areas bordering Edinburgh uh, for when they developed. And so this particular parcel, this is the funeral home parcel. Uh, this one is bordering Battlefield Boulevard. There is a water main in Battlefield that is available for connection. So the water is easy. Um, the uh, sanitary sewer is a little bit more difficult. This uh, parcel is in the pump station 254 service area and there is a deep manhole uh, down by the pump station just south of Hillcrest from which sanitary sewer could be extended. There's also a, uh, a sewer stub on the west side of Battlefield that could be uh, potentially extended also more economically to serve this uh, property. So we look at how can, how can properties be served, what's reasonable, uh, what's proportional to the development. And those improvements, Mr. West, are, are included as part of the developer in installing those improvements, not the city, correct? Uh, that is correct, yes. Every, every developer's got to install sufficient uh, city facilities to serve its uh, needs. 
And then specifically, this property was within that expansion area, correct? This is not this is not a change to the to the plan of, of the twenty thirty five. No, sir. This is part of the expansion area. Any area that was not included in the expansion area would require a comprehensive plan amendment in order to include into the public utilities franchise area. Great. Thank you. I appreciate you addressing it. It's 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 good for everyone to understand. And uh, don't go far because I think the next one is yours as well with the stormwater, right? Jay Tate will help us. So uh, I think the point was effectively uh, that um, it, it was almost a counterintuitive statement saying that the stormwater would be would be better when you're when you're doing this. Can you explain how that might be? Thank you. The property right now probably has no stormwater management and it was cleared as a result of a land disturbance permit and um, kind of interim development for various reasons earlier. So with the um, stormwater management requirements that are in place, you could easily make the argument of they're going to be required to have certain water quality elements of treatment on their site <coughs> at a minimum. And generally, when you try to provide those water quality treatments, you'll actually be reducing your peak flow. And they do have an outfall um, fairly close. So, um, you know, stormwater will not be negatively impacted and potentially improved. Thank you. Appreciate it. Any other questions for staff on any of the items? Any further discussion? If not, then a motion is in order. Move to approve. Second. A properly made motion by Commissioner Squalia, seconded by Commissioner Forbes. Any further discussion? If not, then all commissioners, please prepare to vote. Please vote. Mr. Boss, record the vote. By a vote of nine to zero, the motion carries. I don't know what to do. We don't have a regular agenda. I have to. Adjourn. <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite. We do have a few few more items to take care of. The next, I believe, is director's items. Mr. McNamara. I think I'll just echo what was discussed earlier in the pre-meeting with regards to our upcoming uh, retreat slash work session regarding the 2232 items that will be reviewed on March 29th at 530. Looking forward to another uh, great session. This is going to be a great opportunity for, for Planning Commission to really get involved with these projects. Uh, the list of projects will be released on that day. As a matter of fact, Council will be presented the City Manager's budget the, budget the night before. And then after those, that budget presentation is, uh, we'll, 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 the next day we'll be getting a, a look at those future projects and uh, being able to dig in with our uh, subject matter experts and project managers. So looking forward to good conversations so we can move this forward uh, in April. Great, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Gerloff. I think you just answered it. So we shouldn't expect to see anything between now and then. No, sir, you will not be seeing anything until the day of. So it will it will be a work session. Yep. Right. So that that's the idea, so that we can get that cleaned up. Any other comments, Mr. Director? None for me. All right. Next is unfinished and new business. Uh, by our bylaws, our our second meeting would be on the fourth uh, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday. What is this Wednesday? 
Wednesday. Sorry. Um, so that, that, that means the uh, cancellation of the March 22nd, 2023 meeting is now being considered. However, I would just suggest that we will have a second meeting, but uh, th that we will hold it on March 29th. And I don't think we need a motion to do that. So we're not going to cancel the March 22nd, but rather reschedule that to March 29th. Is there any other unfinished or new business that to be brought up for the good of the commission? Just a reminder, of course, that we will meet on the 29th. And uh, as discussed in the pre-meeting, if you would please provide any uh, inputs to the bylaws, to myself and Mr. Commissioner Bearfield, uh, I would appreciate it. That said, if there's no further business to consider, this meeting stands adjourned at 7.24 p.m.